dear listeners. So happy to be back for another episode of Storical. My apologies for being so sporadic. This month, Immortal Perfumes had a holiday rush because I'm closing up for the month of December as I'm almost done with my cancer treatment. I'm so, so close. So my goal is to get back to a regular schedule by January or February. I know I keep pushing that out, but that's just where we are right now. Thank you so much for bearing with me. I appreciate you all so much. I also need to give a special shout out to a very young listener in Nevada, Josephine. Josephine's mom told me that she likes to listen to this show sometimes during online school, which I totally get. I wouldn't want to have to stare at a screen all day when I was a kid either. Thank you so much for listening, Josephine. I'm so happy you like the podcast, and I hope that you're learning lots. Now, speaking of Nevada, I don't know that I've ever talked about this on here, but I used to live in Reno when I was in high school, and today's subject, Sarah Winnemucca, was a Native American woman of the Paiute tribe, which is indigenous to Northern Nevada. In Reno, there's a bunch of places named after her, and there's also a city in Nevada named Winnemucca. Yet, in my ignorance, I had no idea that Sarah Winnemucca was a very famous and well-respected Native American until I started looking for a subject for this episode. In my defense, though, I went to elementary school in Southern California, so it wasn't part of the history classes that I took. If you're listening in real time, today is Native American Heritage Day, and originally I was going to do a show on either Maria Tallchief or Sacagawea, who were both incredible, but I thought, let's shine a light on someone who maybe a lot of people outside of Nevada haven't heard of. And if you're from Nevada or you currently live there, there's a lot of references in her story that you'll recognize. Sarah's story is pretty incredible, and I hope that after listening to this episode, you seek out her autobiography. But let's get started with Sarah's own words. I was a very small child when the first white people came into our country. They came like a lion. Yes, like a roaring lion. And I have never forgotten their first coming. Sarah Winnemucca was born around 1844, and her real name was Thok Metany, which means shellflower. She was a member of the Paiute tribe, which roamed northern Nevada and Oregon. Her father was Winnemucca, and her grandfather was Truckee. Now, I'll get to this in a bit, but Sarah later said that her grandfather was the chief of the Paiute and followed later by her father, thus making her Princess Sarah Winnemucca. The reality is the tribe didn't have this type of leadership structure. Winnemucca was kind of the head warrior, and Truckee was kind of the head spiritual leader and prophet. Both were super important and influential in the tribe, but the chief construct was more so that white people could understand the hierarchy. Truckee had established friendly relations with the white settlers who had begun moving west. There was a prophecy that white people were banished children of their larger tribe, and Truckee wanted to help reintegrate them. To that end, he became a guide for an explorer named John Charles Fremont in 1845. They ended up in California, and Truckee fought along with Fremont and his army in the Bear Flag Revolt against Mexico in 1846. For his services, John Fremont wrote Truckee a letter of introduction, which was a super important document that basically said, hey, this Truckee guy is top-notch, he's a friend, and you should totally treat him well, because at the time, most white settlers moving west were more likely to try to kill a Native American. This letter of introduction would open a lot of doors for Truckee and his family later down the line. Now, other members of the tribe were not quite so trusting of white people. More and more tense interactions started happening between the tribe and settlers, and the stories grew louder. 
First, the Paiute tried to share food with settlers, and the settlers attacked tribe members camped along the Humboldt River. Then later, tribe members heard absolutely ghastly tales from the Washoe tribe about settlers who resorted to cannibalism during a particularly snowy winter in the Sierras. I am, of course, talking about the Donner Party, which, for those not from Nevada, they were a wagon train of settlers headed to California that got snowed in and ate each other instead of accept help from Native Americans who tried to give them food. I digress. I was just very excited to see that the Donner Party fit into this story. Back to Sarah and her people, though. All of these incidents made them absolutely terrified of the encroaching white settlers. So much so that when she was about six years old and they believed white men were coming, the women literally buried the girls to hide them. Sarah wrote in her autobiography, Let us bury our girls or we shall all be killed and eaten up. So they went to work and buried us and told us if we heard any noise not to cry out. They planted sage bushes over our faces to keep the sun from burning them. With my heart throbbing and not daring to breathe, we lay there all day. With the situation getting out of control, Truckee, who still very much wanted to get on with the settlers, took his family to California. There, Sarah saw firsthand how white people interacted with her grandfather when he showed them his letter of introduction. They would give him provisions, clothing, even lodgings. Truckee then arranged for Sarah to live with a family called the Ormsbys. Sarah would do chores for them, and Mrs. Ormsby would let Sarah sit in on the lessons she gave her children. This was how she went from Thokmetany to Sarah, and also how she learned to speak, read, and write in English, which was hugely important for her later life. Now, back in Nevada, things were devolving quickly between the Paiutes and the settlers. It was 1859 at this point. The California gold rush had been going on for a while, and there was a silver rush in Nevada. So all these white miners are pouring into the region daily and taking up more and more of the Paiutes' land. At one point, two miners kidnapped and abused some Paiute children. Paiute warriors executed these men, and this incident led the rest of the miners to form a militia. It then became an open conflict known today as the Pyramid Lake War. While the Paiute held their own for a while, once the U.S. Army came in, they didn't stand a chance. Most of the tribe was moved onto a reservation at Pyramid Lake, which is still there to this day. As if that wasn't bad enough, Truckee then died of an infection from a tarantula bite. Upon his death, Sarah and her sister were sent to an all-girls Catholic school in San Jose. Sarah was 16 at the time, and even though she had spent her formative years around white people, so she knew their customs and spoke perfect English, parents of the other girls at school complained about having Native American girls enrolled at the school. They actually used slurs against them, but I don't want to repeat that here. They had to leave the school after only a few weeks. So if you've never been to Pyramid Lake before, the area around it is pretty much a desert. And the United States was like, here's this unfarmable land that you can have. You should farm it. But the Paiutes weren't farmers. They were nomads. So I think you can see where this is headed. The U.S. government only gave them supplies that would last them for one year. Part of their truce was that they would get supplies for 22 years. But what would actually happen is the agents who ran reservations would keep the money or sell off provisions and land to the highest bidder. The first year at Pyramid Lake, many Paiutes starved. So Sarah, being fluent in English, wrote to newspapers and magazines, even getting published in Harper's Weekly. She also sent an impassioned plea to military leaders at Camp McDermott in Nevada. Impressed with her skills, they approved her request and sent the tribe supplies and hired her to be a military translator. She distinctly understood that white people were fascinated by Native American rituals and customs. For five years, Sarah, her father Winnemucca, 
her brother Natchez, her sister Alma, and warriors from her tribe would make public appearances in places like Virginia City, a boomtown on the outskirts of Reno, and they would be dressed up in ceremonial attire. Winnemucca would give a speech that Sarah would translate for the assembled crowd, and they would collect money and provisions from the people who came to watch. They even did a skit called the Grand Scalp Dance, which was not a real thing at all. They just understood that they had to play it up to get these ludicrous white people to help them. This was kind of how she became known as Princess Sarah. They knew white people understood royalty, so they were like, yes, we are native royalty. Now kindly get off our land and maybe help us. This went on for five years before things really came to a head. The Paiute women worked as seamstresses, maids, and cooks. The men sold wood. And then a new military man who wanted to be known as an Indian fighter killed three starving Paiute men who had stolen some cattle. Winnemucca and his warriors were out hunting when the captain came through. And again, let us use Sarah's own words here. The soldiers rode up to their encampment and fired into it. After the soldiers had killed all but some little children and babies still tied up in their baskets, the soldiers took them also and set the camp on fire and threw them into the flames to see them burn alive. I had one baby brother killed there. This was called the Mud Lake Massacre. Winnemucca and his band ended up retreating and laying low in isolation. Sarah went back to work for the army. She was able to secure safe passage for her father, and they moved everybody to the Malheur Reservation in Oregon. On this reservation, Sarah got to work with the only kind reservation agent from the U.S. government they had ever encountered. Samuel B. Parrish was the son of a minister who believed in abolition, both of slaves and Native Americans. He actually treated them as people and told them the reservation was theirs. He was just there to help. He taught them to farm and allowed them to set up a school. But then, of course, being a human being was deemed bad by the U.S. government. They fired him and sent in this guy named Reinhardt, who was just awful. He wanted them off their own reservation so he could lease the land to ranchers, and he was super violent. She tried to get the Bureau of Indian Affairs to send them someone else, but they refused. She kept writing to newspapers and magazines, but no luck there either. His violence became too much for the tribe, and they joined forces with the Bannock tribe, took Winnemucca as prisoner, and participated in what was called the Bannock War. Sarah and her sister-in-law enlisted to work as scouts, guides, and interpreters for the U.S. military on the other side of this conflict in an effort to get her father and other Paiutes who had been imprisoned safely back to Oregon, which she succeeded at. The only problem was the U.S. government decided to make the tribe move 350 miles north to Yakima, Washington. It snowed the entire time. Many of them died. And now they blame Sarah because they saw her as a traitor. She went back to work, though, and traveled all the way to Washington, D.C. to protest and lobby for her people. She also embarked on a lecture tour in which she spoke 300 times in front of people such as Ralph Waldo Emerson. Some gems that she wrote for that include, I would place all the Indians of Nevada on ships in our harbor, take them to New York, and land them there as immigrants that they might be received with open arms. And then another one. Oh, for shame, you who are educated by a Christian government in the art of war, the practice of whose profession makes you natural enemies of the savages, so called by you, yes, you who call yourselves the great civilization, you who have knelt upon Plymouth Rock, covenating with God to make this land the home of the free and the brave. Ah, then you rise from your bended knees and seizing the welcoming hands of those who are the owners of this land, which you are not. 
your carbines rise above the bleak shore, and your so-called civilization sweeps inland from the ocean's wave. But oh my god, leaving its pathway marked by crimson lines of blood and strewed the bones of two races, the inheritor and the invader, and I am crying out to you for justice, yes, pleading for the far-off plains of the West." People loved her. She marketed herself as Princess Sarah and then skewered them. She made friends with Mary Peabody Mann, who was the wife of Horace Mann, the education reformer, and she encouraged Sarah to write her own autobiography. Her book, Life Among the Paiutes, Their Wrongs and Claims, was both memoir and critique of the government for how they made her people suffer. She was the first Native American woman to publish an autobiography. And importantly, this book came from a time when white people were taking over. Sacagawea and Pocahontas, the other Native women that most white people have heard of, came from a time when they were the saviors of white people who had no idea how to survive on this land without their help. The money from the book and her lecture tour helped her finance her own school for Native children called the Peabody School in what is now Lovelock, Nevada. This was at the start of when the U.S. government was forcing Native children to go to boarding schools where they would teach them English and American customs and were effectively trying to destroy their history and heritage. Sarah's school taught children English and customs to help them survive in what had become a white man's world. But more importantly, she also taught them their own language and heritage. The U.S. government literally tried to kidnap children from her school, but she was able to protect them. The school only lasted about four years, however, as she didn't have a source of funding once her money ran out and her husband died. Which, by the by, she was married twice, but her husbands weren't interesting, so that's why I haven't dedicated time to that. Sorry, guys. Sarah Winnemucca died in 1891 of what is presumed to have been tuberculosis. She has since been inducted into the National Women's Hall of Fame, and the state of Nevada erected a statue of her in Washington, D.C., in researching for this episode, I reflected a lot on the places that I've lived in my life. I was born on what is now known as the Shinnecock Nation, that's Long Island, New York, the Tongva people of what is now Los Angeles, the Washoe people in Reno, and now the Duwamish tribe in Seattle. Land acknowledgement is a powerful symbol of respect, so I offer to you that Immortal Perfumes historical podcast would like to acknowledge that we are on the traditional land of the first people of Seattle, the Duwamish people, past and present, and honor with gratitude the land itself and the Duwamish tribe. I encourage you to look up the tribes indigenous to your area. There is so much fascinating history all around us. But if you'd like to learn more about Sarah Winamukta, check out her autobiography, Life Among the Paiute. For children, Paiute Princess, the story of Sarah Winamukta by Deborah Cogan Ray. Both of those will give you some great insight into her life, and her autobiography will give you a taste of what it was really like as a tribe's way of life was taken from them. All right, that's all for today, but I wish you all a happy holiday season, whatever you believe. I'll be replaying some of my Charles Dickens episodes from last year in December, and we'll probably also try to get a Victorian Christmas special in. Otherwise, during my December break, I'll be working on historical episodes for 2021. Please leave a review on Apple Podcasts to help others find the show, and I'll be back soon with more stories. Music.